Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel. And today, my guest is Professor Chad Bryan. We'll be talking about his new book, Prague, Belonging and the Modern City, published by Harvard University Press 2021. Welcome, Chad, and thanks for joining us in the conversation today. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a great honor. So a little bit about our author today, Chad Bryant, is Associate Professor of History at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. His interests include nationalism and the urban experience in modern Central and Eastern Europe, with a particular focus on the lands of today's Czech Republic. The new book, Prague, Belonging, and the Modern City, tells the stories of five marginalized individuals who, over the last two centuries, forged their own notions of belonging in a city they called home. Bryant has received fellowships from the American Council of Learned Societies and the National Humanities Center. I should mention he's also the author of Prague in Black, Nazi Rule and Czech Nationalism, also published by Harvard University Press 2007, the winner of the Hans Rosenberg Book Prize. And currently he is with Katarzyna Chakova and Diana Dumitru embarking on a study of the Stalinist era political trials in Czechoslovakia. So I, it's a joy to talk to you, Chad, as, as a person who also wrote a book with a five-headed cast. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions for you about Prague, but I want to start with my usual question here at New Books Network, and, and that is what motivated you to write the book. Yeah, well, thanks. And, and thanks, Stephen. For the, I was thinking about that this morning. What a happy coincidence that there's a, a similar exactly. organization or oh, a similar sort of style of book and also a love of biography, too. Um, yeah, so I think the origins of the book were are, are thus that after my first book, um, I kind of faced this choice as my, you know, in my, one of my advisors, John Connolly, once said, you can choose to write sort of a a sequel to your first book or do something completely different. These are like the two paths that people usually take with their second book. And I, I chose the second path in part because um, I just wanted to learn a lot more and I wanted to become a better teacher and I wanted to be a better mentor to my graduate students. And so I, I chose Prague as sort of the, the focus of this this book. And um, in part because I wanted to learn about urban history and too, because I thought Prague would be a great sort of vehicle for talking a lot about, about a, lot, a lot of issues that were, are dear to me. And, and as I began to think about how to construct this, this history of the city, um, which I decided would be in the, from around 1800 to the present, I was wondering how to tell a story of the city that, that doesn't fall into the trap of, of one sort of um, anthropomorphizing the city, seeing as, as it has a certain number of characters, as many urban mm-hmm. biographies do, but also kind of challenging the, the Whig version of Czech history, which, which sees... Prague as as eminently Czech city, and whose um, sort of happy ending is becoming the, the capital of a nation state. 
And so, so from that point, I, I kind of, I, I took a lot of inspiration. For, we mentioned earlier Robert Nemesh, um, who wrote another series of biographies, mm-hmm. uh, based his history on biographies, and thought about how I can choose characters who would allow me to tell this grander narrative of the, of the city while while disrupting this this you know, this Czech wig um, version of of the city. And it was then that I kind of began to realize that these five characters that as different, or I had many characters, and the five who made it shared this as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, um, a question I have for you about who who didn't make the cut, but I'll ask that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there are quite a few, and quite a few people I came to dislike as well. But that's another question. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and so I think what what they shared and what the others shared was they they were all shared this sense of a struggle to find a home, find a sense of belonging in a city that 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 alienated them in different ways. Um, and and from that it came became to, it, what what occurred to me was that there's a fascinating paradox that I saw both in Prague but also capital cities around the world is that on the one hand capital cities are they embody national imaginations. They embody national imaginations in the landscape and they are they're nodes of political power and these nation national imaginations they, they picture the nation as this homogenous, unified whole. Um, but cities, by their essence, are, are magnets of difference. They draw people mm-hmm. from various regions, various backgrounds, various political views, various ethnicities. And cities are, are by definition, um, centers and loci of, of difference. And it's, it's this paradox that I wanted to explore while, while also kind of tracing out how how these characters tried to create a sense of belonging in a city that, mm-hmm. that alienated them in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think about the book by Robert Nemesh, a book that is another Hungary and you know a, a sort of nod to biography and, and provincial lives, eight lives I think he has in, in his book. Um, can you introduce your characters? So who is Chad Bryant's Prague? Who are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are five characters. Um, and the first is, uh, Karol Vladislav Zap, who, who wrote the first Czech language guidebook to Prague. Um, the, the, the second version of which, um, was published in 1847. And, and he was a sort of a, a an, um, an aspiring member of middle class at a time when, when Prague was in many ways dominated by a German speaking elite. And so. His story is trying to find both a sense of place in the city that was dominated by by German language and culture, but also he's also the beginning point for this um, that this Czech national claiming of the city and, mm-hmm. and the making of its own. So he serves this double purpose. Uh, the second is Egon Evren Kish, and I focus in on the years before World War One with him, and he was a a German Jewish essayist or feuilletonist who wrote for the leading German language newspaper in Prague at that time. And what I do with him is talking about his his feuilletons, these essays mm-hmm. that he wrote for Bohemia were, were mostly about walking through the city and the way that he used walking and also other sort of you know, practices to find a, a place in a city that they'd become increasingly not just Czech, but also um, riven through with anti-Semitic politics. The third character is Wojciech Berger, who was a carpenter and a social democrat turned Bolshevik after World mm-hmm. War One, 
And his story is one of uh, turning toward practices within the Communist Party itself to create for himself a sense of belonging in a in a city that become a capital for the democratic um, first republic and and one that that he felt um, had mm-hmm. was not listening or was not responding to him or rep- representative of his his desires and political views and the last two are Hanna Frekova and Zhuang Nguyen. Uh, Hanna Frekova uh, was the daughter is is still the daughter of Ludwig Freika, one of the That's one of right. the victims of the Slonsky trial. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and her story is one of being actually expelled from Prague as a young girl and and returning to the city to to carve out a a, a life in the theater and seeking a search or finding a sense of belonging there. And the last one, uh, Zhuang Zhuang Nguyen, is um, she is the daughter of. Vietnamese uh, migrants to to the city, or actually to to the Czech Republic. Her her parents still live outside the city and, and still did. And her story is arriving to Prague in two thousand and seven as a as a first year student at college and and mm-hmm. being one of the first um, sort of bloggers to to talk about issues of being Czech and Vietnamese at that time and during a very tumultuous year, which was. Um, Marked among other things by the financial collapse. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking, Chad, if if you could say a word about your sources. So I I realize that on the one hand, you know, you have diarists and and memoirists, and and then of course, you know, the last of your subjects who is a blogger. What what did you do to delve into your sources? What what were what were the choices that you made? And you know, one of these characters has, I think, sixty five volumes or something like that. Um, and Frekova, her book, I think, is which is wonderful, Divnikozhny, surprising roots. Um, what what drew you to those sources? And I think what drew you to create your own city archive of Prague. Yeah, that, thanks. That's a that's a great question because I mean I think, I mean a lot of the, the, a lot of the work that went into this was actually finding people who who wrote enough about their lives that to allow me to reconstruct them, and especially not just their lives, but also um, enough about their their daily movings and their daily sort of experiences to do that. And um, and so for the first one, I think. I mean, and, and you know this well from your book is the first couple anyways, I relied a lot on letters, a lot of mm-hmm. letter writing um, that in an age of letter writing, this was much more common. <laughs> um, and I, I also like, I also wanted each chapter to be reflective of a different type of, of life writing or self or writing about the self. And now is a sort of introduction to, to these different sources. So with Zop, it was mainly letters, but also his his writing about Prague um, more broadly that I used. Um, for Kish, it was also letter writing with his his brother, but also his his essays, which were very personal in, in their own way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Berger, who's the third character, and probably the most fascinating, as you mentioned, he wrote yeah. like 65 volumes in general. He was the gra- graphomania. <laughs> he just couldn't <laughs> stop himself. He really, I and mean, it literally every third day he wrote something. Um, and he did other things. He collected, you know, he collected cartoons. He, during World War II, he collected lists of people who had wronged him in different ways. <laughs> um, 
he was he would often just go to the pub and and drink beer and and write and so he was a yeah he was a, probably the richest source in many ways and one that i've you know i've tried to read as much as possible but um still remains to be tapped and and Frekova is, is a memoir and so i talk about that a little bit in that, that chapter about the the challenges of kind of dealing with a source that does is looking backwards right and mm-hmm. and also that that was complemented with interviews and and something that she wrote for a um, a theater new, um, mm-hmm. magazine there too, and as you mentioned, the last uh, um, Zhuang is is mostly it's based on the blogs that she wrote, but also the interviews that I did with her, and um, and the book she wrote her own book uh, um, about the time after two thousand and eight, which is where my chapter ends. So I, mm-hmm. I drew in all those, and I so I think the bottom line, the idea is that there's a lot of different ways of getting at individual lives and 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 the lives uh, urban lives but but also um not everybody and most people don't write about themselves or or don't even aren't writers by profession or by by hobby either so mm-hmm. um, it, it it limits in many ways what you can do in a book like this um but at the same time it's um it's really exciting to see and to use yeah. all these different sources I, and, and I will return to a lot of these things, including the Czech Republic after 2008. Um, I, I'm really intrigued by your commentary on, on social media and, and, of course, the 1.5 generation and people who are migrants and moving between worlds. I did want to ask a question about the layout for your book. So you do have five chapters, and, and I think they're intriguing. The first is called German City the second is Czech city, the third is revolution city, the fourth is communist city, and the fifth is global city. So again, I wanted to ask not just about space, but time. How, how then did you aim to cover all of these you know, periods? You, you have a, a zeitgeist, I think, for each character. So what, what were some of your choices in, in moving through their sort of panoramic lives and wanderings and forays. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's the other like set of choices beyond like finding interesting people. And, and I very self-conscious tried to find people whose lives spanned you know, the, the modern era for, um, from you know, 18, roughly from the 1820s or thirties to the present. But, um, what those chapter titles reflect is the second sort of strain of the narrative. So if one strain is the story of these lives and how they're and how they're sort of managing, how they're navigating these, the, the city, the particular city that they live in, the, the second strain is an attempt to provide a general history of, of the city, to, to sort of tell the story of a city that you know, in 1843 had 100,000 people and was walled in to one that is now um, over a million and has enveloped villages way beyond its original city center. And and also mm-hmm. to tell a story of these various waves of of political and economic elites who, who in many ways set the tone um, for not just the politics of the city, but also the built environment in which these characters um, exist and so, so those chapter titles are are mostly generally reflective of those various time periods, and that's that's how I tried to organize the book is to to think of these five different phases in the history of the city, and then how these five different people attempted to navigate mm-hmm. each 
different phase. Mm-hmm. And and how would you say there is a check understanding of, of the flaneur of, or of strolling or walking? I, I, again, you know, I'm interested in how you historicize this because um, Keisha's forays, as, as you rightly point out, predate Walter Benjamin. And there are neighborhoods in Prague, of course, there are districts, you know, sort of arrondissement. Um, but strolling and, and walking is is not perhaps as 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 common or as presentist as, as people might think. So, you know, how how did you work that out? Yeah, so um so like one of the really interesting things that came out of the book is you know, as I began to to explore how these characters sought to create a sense of belonging for themselves in in a, in the city. And, and as they sort of tried to deal with what I call the double burden of belonging, what I, what I noticed was that it was, this was also a vehicle to talk about the ways of what I ta- term the practices of belonging that emerged in the city more generally. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is one of them. I think the, the first chapter is it, one of the, one of the practices of belonging that Zap allows me to talk about is is that of strolling. So, and before you know the 1820s in Prague and this and in much of Europe, and this began um, in England. You know, walking was was seen as something that um, that was something for the, only the lower classes did out of choice. Uh, did right? you? Mm-hmm. They had to walk from city to city. They had to you know walk in the fields, and if you had the means, you would you would take a carriage. Um, mm-hmm. But by the 1830s and 40s in Prague, walking became a, a middle-class pursuit that, that in many ways mimicked um, what the nobility had been doing in their gardens. Right? But they, the middle class, took took this to walk. They literally walked on the walls around Prague. They they created parks within and then beyond the city to to walk, um, and they also walked on paths. and And so this became a, a practice, um, not just of asserting middle-class status. But also of of claiming the city. You're literally walking, you know, certain parts of the city with your your friends or your your romantic partner or your family, and in doing so, you know, claiming step by step part of the city. And so, so this is like so this was like one practice that um, that Zap allows me to talk about, and also a practice I think is still with us in many ways. Um, as as someone has been quarantined here for a while, I, I feel much yeah, more exactly. connected to like my little path beyond behind my house, and I I see neighbors all the time, and and I think this it's it's you know recreated. It doesn't have to be in a city, of course, to do this. And yeah, um, and I think I mean we could talk about Kish too. It's a different type of walking. Yeah, Let, let's so let's talk about his panhandler uh, Hashil. I think it was right. So I mean, he created these characters through the forays that that allowed him to to transgress, perhaps, or you know, to cross a lot of, of lines in the city. And and you know, what what could you could you tell our listeners about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think so. If Zop was sort of, if Zop is a He's sort of a, a bellwether of a of a larger sort of movement in the the history of walking and and walking as belonging. And Kish, it, Kish is in many ways is is an exception, but one I th- I thought was an admirable one because what Kish did was he deliberately left his um, the comforts of his middle class neighborhood in the middle of Prague and his mm-hmm. German speaking middle class neighborhood in Prague 
to to walk beyond the city. I mean, I'm sure he took the tram some places and then walked, but and you know, nonetheless, yeah. the whole point was to go on foot and to have encounters with with people from all walks of life in the city, and then to write about them. and And of course, he he um he had a purpose in doing so. He was an aspiring writer, and he he tended to sort of, um, embellish sometimes and. And he, he loved wordplay, but but I think what I find really admirable about him is unlike um, the flaneur, um, as as Benjamin and others have have seen it, as someone who kind of melds with the crowd and and is seen as someone who can kind of grapple with modernity, um, all the changes in modernity by absorbing and, and sort of celebrating that modernity. What I what I what I'm arguing for Kish is that he's he's actually a much more admirable character and someone who seeks out encounters with difference Mm -hmm. and then tries this but within the limits of his own sort of perspective his own sort of consciousness um Mm -hmm. tried to understand others and and also celebrated a city of of difference and so that's and in doing so that's where he found his own place he he saw he envisioned for his readers a prog of difference that wasn't necessarily Czech and wasn't necessarily middle class even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I see you know some very powerful myths and and national myths and and national codes of Czechoslovakia, which you know are, are obviously true beyond the Bohemian lands and, and into the First Republic. So you know how how did you begin through your writers and characters to to show? a kind of empathetic realism. I mean, I, I guess you could credit Kish with some of that, but you know, how does that work for you, Chad, through, through the modern period, modern Czech history and, and really modern central European urban history? I guess. Um, so would you mean like, so realism in terms of what? Yeah. I mean, you have very powerful myths, you know, you start the book with the, this panoramic, you know, view of, of uh, from Visakrad and and then Kish, you know, is a good example of, of someone who's kind of resorts to this realistic style and yet um, relies on sentimentalism. And then by the time you get to Berger, who who joins the Communist Party in 1921, you know, he's discovering the working class in a very different way. I would guess, you know, to put words in your mouth to distance himself from from his old social democratic past and from Masaryk and, and others. So, you know, I guess what are, what are the myths that you sort of play with and, and try to, to disentangle in this urban yeah. space? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's a great question because it's, it kind of goes back to the first point of how, how to deal with this Czech version, Czech version of Whig history. Um, so, so, I mean, just moving forward. So if Kish is challenging the late 19th century as sort of this, this golden age of, of Czech sort of awakening and, and, and culture, and so, which it, it was, of course, but, but it was much more than that. Um, the next sort of phase in that myth or that sort of the dominant narrative that, that you'll see in the textbooks, say, if you're your kids in a in, in a Czech school in Prague, <laughs> right. for example, that, which that's I did the, see. That's, that's what I'm you know asking is there's this there is this golden age myth that tourists get with the guidebooks and children get in a very pedagogical manner, right? So you know, I mean, you play with this in really I think <laughs> deep and sophisticated ways. Um, 
but you know, you just, I'm, I'm curious in how you do this through your characters as, as a writer through this urban space. Yeah. Yeah. So if the first chapter is about, so the, the origins, the quote unquote awakening of the Czech nationalism, the second chapter is about, um, Czech elites and Czech, the, the, the flowering of Czech culture and the claiming of, of Prague as a Czech city and, and sort of this, this golden age of Czech nationalism. The, the third chapter is about the interwar period in which following the collapse of the Hasmarnaki, you know, swaths of, of new states are created and, and the first Czechoslovak Republic is one of them with, with Prague being the capital. And, and the, the myth there, with, which Andrei Orzov has, has written very eloquently about is that um, that this was an island of democracy in a, in a region that, that slowly mm-hmm. tended toward authoritarianism and fascism, um, which in many ways it was, right? But it it also was a as you know Antonin Klimek and others have written, it was also one in which um, it was ruled by five Czech Czech um, parties, um, political parties. Uh, had a, a presidential office, which was very overbearing at times, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, oft, oft, and also one that um, was not entirely, it was unresponsive in many ways to the, the struggles of, of you know, the laboring classes. And, and so Berger is a way of getting at that. But I, I try to do so in a complicated way because he joined a party that, that sought to undermine and eventually did undermine the very sort of um, civil society and, and practices of belonging that, that allowed him to find a place in the city. And so mm-hmm. um, the next phase is, is the communist version of, of Prague and, and Czech nationalism, which has now been excised from, from the general yes. myth. Um, as we, we won't know. Find this, as we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, 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 so um, thoroughly. It's, it's really surprising. Um, and it was, what, one thing that I, I found this most interesting is especially in the 60s and 70s, this was a Prague and a, a Czechoslovakia that was sort of represented not just by you know, these communist ideals of, of equality and, and so forth, but also of technocratic socialism. This, 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 this embrace yeah. of, of technology. It's a great and Concrete and, and um, housing projects and, and the metro. And, and, and I, I mean, a long time ago, um, Veronica Peha and I, did interviews with um, with the first metro or the first subway drivers in Prague for a project oh, wow. that we, we eventually never did. But I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's in a paragraph. I was able to use it in a paragraph. But, but just seeing the pride that they had in that and that they were part of that myth, right? And we've forgotten that. Yeah. But Frekova was against, she's challenging that. And then, and the last yeah. myth is um, the post 89 sort of anti communist. Um, embrace of market capitalism myth as Czechs being natural capitalists in many ways. Czechs mm-hmm. as naturally hardworking, naturally democratic, um, and and it's a myth that in many ways sort of um, mm-hmm. fogged over, or it made possible a lot of the corruption of that of that era. Mm-hmm. Do you think you under understand modernity or modernities in, in the plural? I, I know you know Kim Zarakor has, has written about this as a socialist modernity, and others who are dealing with the post-war period, especially af, after 1945, and, and with the history of, of expulsions and so forth af, after the Holocaust. Um, so how do you understand this modernity project, and do you understand it in a, in a Czech 
a particularly Czech, I'm careful not to use the word unique, but a particularly Czech kind of way in the city? Yeah, well, that's a great, that's a great question. I mean, I think you can, first of all, there are various sort of visions of modernity and different ways of realizing it in the political realm and, and the built environment and everyday life, like within each chapter. Right. And so, um, so I think, um, but also as the, these different visions of modernity also change over time. So, so I think, you know, what, what Kimberly Zarkor is talking about is, um, of a socialist modernity, you know, that, that kind of embraces what I was talking about, among other things, this technological socialism, but also imagining a city that, as she argues in the, the you know, in the, the Eastern Bloc, took many of the ideas of, um, of the modernist architectural school and applied them um, in, a very, in a very peculiarly kind of Marxist-Leninist manner. Um, among other things, taking the, the, the design of the rayon or the, the mini village that you see mm-hmm. now in circles, not just Prague, but many of the cities throughout Eastern right. Europe. And this was the, the height of you know, modernist architecture in their idea, eyes. And, and therefore mm-hmm. also realizing a modernity, as they hoped anyways, that would be sort of more egalitarian, but also um, more communitarian as well. And mm-hmm. so, I, but as to the question whether this is particular Prague or not, I think that's no, that that's that's something that I wish it could have gone into more because yeah. this is, there's resonances in in cities not just throughout the region but around the world too, and and yeah. you have to pick your framing. But I think there's so much great urban history now that is actually seeing uh, seeing cities as part of networks that mm-hmm. that feed off feed ideas off each other that that copy each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan Nathan Wood does this really well for the late nineteenth century. Right? That's true. Yeah, Be- becoming cosmopolitan. No, I mean the, I have a very subjective reason for asking. I'm, I'm a Rust Belt child, and I, you know, when I think of cities, I think of deindustrialization and depopulation. <laughs> I mean, many other things rather than the sort of like Europhilia, especially kind of aspirational middle class love of cities. I mean, for me, I just remember cities as as dilapidated and falling apart and people fleeing from them. And I, I guess, you know, this is my own sort of personal way of, of asking because there's a Czech Prague, I guess, or a, a global city Prague that's meant for tourists. And then there's the Prague for, for workers and pensioners and laborers and people who are, you know, in many ways struggling to, to pay rent or housing and even just to stay there and to live there and not go back to their village or, or to another town. So that's more of a comment than a question, but yeah. And I think you know, like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Rust Belt kid myself. So I, mean, I think, I mean, if there's a great book um, by Gabrielle Winnett called the next shift called the, and it's about Pittsburgh in, in, in this era. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and this kind of goes to like the, the other part of like the, the story here is, yeah, cities fall too. And you're right. This this book is one of Prague kind of going through different phases and it's always pretty. Right? It's always like yeah, getting, exactly. it's being layered with another layer. It's being back, overlaid back with, with various. <laughs> back, backed, with, backed with money. <laughs> yeah, and backed with various forms of money. And, and because it's a capital city too, it's it's continually being overlaid with, with symbols right. because it has to have a, 
it serves a purpose not just for itself but for for the political leadership whatever that mm -hmm. was at the time and i think that's not necessarily true of, of gary indiana or or you know um or Klodno or you know other mm -hmm. other towns that that didn't didn't serve the same symbolic purpose mm -hmm. did within the political and, order and and even I, I wonder about Czech cities too. If you're going to make this into a comparison with Ostrava or Karlov Ivari or, or Zlín or something like that, I think it would look very different. And then you would have people, you know, with certain prejudices about the capital city in, in Prague. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, because I, I think this is my favorite chapter about um, Zhang Nguyen in. Sapa and the Vietnamese migrant community, how how you um, wrote about this. I love the part in your book where you talk about people trusting you with their stories. Um, so could you could you introduce Zhang Nguyen and, and maybe talk a bit about how you began to write that chapter? Yeah, yeah. So I I I have to say that was probably one of my favorite chapters to write too, just because it was. I was worried about topics that I knew very little about, so I got to learn a lot, and, and also just getting to know her was was a real joy. So, um, Zhuang, she is a uh, a daughter of Vietnamese migrants, and many people don't realize this is that beginning in the 1970s, um, Czechoslovakia as well as East Germany, the Soviet Union, and, and several other you know, communist states established relationships not just with with communist Vietnam, but also you know, countries around in the global south um, as part of a international socialist project to to not just you know modernize in a sort of paternalistic sense but also to to foster political alliances and, and support him and that eventually developed into a labor migration um, mm -hmm. in which many um, many people from uh, north from communist Vietnam you know, traveled and then eventually ended up staying in, in Czechoslovakia and the Czech Republic beginning the 1980s and into the 1990s. Um, and many of them, um, while at first working in factories, eventually transitioned from selling goods in various sort of weekend markets to owning their own little shops, um, which replaced the state-owned shops that had been prominent mm -hmm. and, and often had empty shelves like under communism. And so Zhuang is um, is a daughter of of two of those you know migrants, and she came from a, a town, a small village uh, outside of Prague, and uh, as I mentioned, arrived there in two thousand and eight as a first year student. And then and and then you know her character is is one mm -hmm. of like of you know speaking her mind, which in many ways was yeah. goes against many of the traditions of her culture, but also. Um, as she learned, um, invited a lot of you know, xenophobic hate um, mm -hmm. from from non-Vietnamese as well. But but she and four other young women, you know, one one of whom was in high school and two others were who were in college, began blogging about their experiences and in the spring you know, of 2008 and became this for this brief moment a media sensation. <laughs> they were among yeah, the, the most read bloggers in the, in the country at a time when blogging was was very much a not an entirely new thing but something that was beginning to capture the imagination mm -hmm. and beginning to be something that some people read. And um and as I wrote too like what's interesting about the blog and this all seems kind of common sense now is it it was also it was revolutionary because one it was a form in which people like Zhuang could 
could find an audience without finding, getting a, a book contract or whatever and be read. Um, mm-hmm. It was a form that allowed for sort of pun, like very sort of powerful, it was a short form that allowed for a lot of, you know, very powerful thoughts within a condensed, you know, bit. Um, and it also allowed for a comment section. So there was a conversation going on. Yeah. All the harassment, <laughs> on, online harassment, right? Yeah. And the harassment is, yeah. And the harassment as well. So, um, so I think it's a really interesting moment. And I think what, what I find like, what I really admire about her is that she, while telling her story, she gave space for other, other, you know, 1.5 or second generation uh, Vietnamese to, to work, work through like what it meant to be Czech or Vietnamese and also to find, you know, a place in the city. And, and those blogs in many ways um, laid the foundation for an associational life that, that mm-hmm. existed on the ground as well. And, and, um, and a protest against um, some of the xenophobic measures taken by the government later that fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'm thinking of the the 2008 economic crisis and and also the raid, right? And because mm-hmm. there was was it 2008, Chad, that there was a, the raid on SAP. I mean, it had a huge effect on it was yeah it was right in the, yeah, it was in the summer of 2008 in which um amidst like the the financial crisis, but also a long complicated growing tensions with the Vietnamese government. Um, the Ministry of Interior did a, a largely symbolic but also violent raid against Sapa, which is the largest Vietnamese market in all of Europe, and and just stripped the dignity of of many of the people living there. Mm-hmm. And, and this, and it was through online organizing that many many young, you know, Vietnamese in Prague who had grown up in the Czech Republic, who spoke Czech perfectly who had Czech friends and who had connections and that they they organized protests against this and and really brought the brought the ruling civic, um, yeah. civic Democrats to 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 task for it and and this became a mobilizing point for for more political action and also just more more on mm-hmm. the ground sort of um, yeah associational life and so forth so. Mm-hmm. And and I guess you know that sort of leads me to some of the larger philosophical and, and historiographical contributions of your book because there has been so much written about imagined non-communities, Tarazara, and and the National Indifference School, Peter Judson, and others. So where would you where would you position your commentary in that sort of broader realm of, of academic? literature and and especially because you focused from the very beginning of your book on I, I I think concepts that maybe we haven't paid enough attention to in imagination and belonging so perhaps say, say a few words about that I'm not not just in an academic kind of way but but what it would mean to belong in a third space or, or associationally in, in this course of modern Czech and Central European history. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So belonging is that's it's the it's the concept that's try that it, that holds the whole book together. And, and I think what I'm trying to contribute is, I mean, you mentioned Tarazar and, and Peter Judson and so forth, and and their work largely looks at um, the nationally indifferent. So it's up until you know even World War II, the 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 question or the challenge of people who refuse to be either Czech or German or refuse to mobilize behind the nation despite nationalist efforts to do so. And, um, and what I'm doing is kind of changing the frame a bit 
and the broader sort of philosophical argument, and this this is very much sort of borrowed from from um, Benedict Anderson's Imagine Communities, is that is that beginning in the early 19th century, after the Enlightenment, you know, in the midst of the Industrial Revolution, uh, following the French Revolution, um, the, the 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 comforting and unfair and unjust structures of the mm-hmm. early modern period and urbanization were, were ripped away. Mm-hmm. And and it was in this moment that it became the imperative of the individual to to create her or his own community and to create his or her own sense of place. Now, the, the nationalism and, and the nation was one way of finding this imagined community and this sense of place in history, but, but people did it in other ways too. Um, and they did it in various practices in which allowed for them to create a, a sense of belonging, this sense of certainty and comfort in a world that is defined by unceasing change and unceasing certain uncertainty and so um and so this is a it's a term that it's a little bit different than um the term belonging is a little bit different than say um so our chris davis's book hungarian religion or yeah. romanian blood like he sees belonging as something that it's a category of exclusion generally speaking it, right you know right. whereas um I, this the way I'm using it is is closer to um, Sarah Wilbeck Segev's book or um, or others, especially those who write about migration issues, um, um, including um, well, including many others that can go on and on, who see belonging as as something that um, is an individual imperative. It's something that is at, it really has to be seen from the the bottom from the bottom up and it's something that is created by the yeah. individual on the ground yeah i i wanted to ask you know sort of a follow-up question because there is that most famous you know zara zimmerman fictional character is mm-hmm. the the great kind of czech hero and, and in many ways people are, are belonging in this sort of 21st century global city in in looser forms of ways, right? I mean, I, I guess, you know, as a counter argument here, I would think if you're writing a book with five characters, it's going to look different if you have five characters who are students, right? Or exchange students um, who, you know, try on 10 different identities at, at once, as opposed to someone who's, you know, sort of like a middle-aged American academic like we are who's going to the city on a research trip and then, and then staying there. Um, so I, I wondered if you might, you know, sort of conceptualize this belonging as, as strong or weak or perhaps like experimental or, you know, based on étrangement, alienation and that, that kind of, you know, Kafka way. Is, the, is there a way that you see this as a path forward for doing modern European history and, and especially modern Czech history, if, if you're um, circling around a town or trying to belong to a cityscape? Yeah, I, I think it is actually. I think it is a way forward and not necessarily even European history, European studies. I mean, there's, um, I mean one book that I read after I finished the book was uh, Sharon Yoon's The, the Cost of Belonging, it's a, which is about, um, it's about Korean the Korean minority in in Beijing um, today, and and what she does is look at a group, this group, actually one set of Koreans who are from China, and the second set who are 
or from South Korea and, and ask similar questions like how how did they create a sense of belonging for themselves in a, in a, in a, in a city as ethnic minorities and, and the struggles that they had and and I think that there's so what she's doing is one way forward is you take a certain group actually she has two groups and she compares how these two groups tackle this this similar question but I think belonging could also be used in a biographical sense but the, which which I did um, and, and others have done as well. And I think the, the point being is it's similar to Benedict Anderson's book. I think it begins, if you begin with a question, this question, or if you begin with a premise, sorry, that, that a, a search for belonging is, is bound up with the, the human experience in, in modern Europe, at least from 1800 to the present, and then begin to layer questions upon that. I think it's a really interesting starting point, just as just as he kind of began with the question of how does the nation attempt to provide a sense of community, and then the rest of his book kind of shows how the nation was imagined through different practices and, and efforts over time. Mm-hmm. I think this the same thing could be done here, and and it and it and it is it is the way that I'm framing it is inevitably a, a bottom up sort of history, but I think it's a really important way of. Yeah, sort of re recontextualizing because it takes the puts the focus on those who are the the objects of yeah yeah, of, yeah. Of power and the other on the wrong side of power and but I think I think it also has a has the potential of I hesitate to do the word you you use the word universal but it's something that we've all felt out of place somewhere we've all felt alienated somewhere at some point mm-hmm. we may not have been subjected to. The, the sort of the, the vicious sometimes and, and sometimes deadly exclusionary practices that, that many people throughout history have had. But, but I think mm-hmm. it's a starting point for, for empathy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I, I, you know, I, your book is a book which is about empathy. Um, and I, I guess to add to this, I, I'm wondering, you know, because you've been asked already, I have to ask the question about your level of optimism um, not just in the Czech Republic, but to modes of belonging and to modes of belonging to the Czech Republic in general in a political sense. So, you know, there's the memory of, of forgetting and nostalgia. There's also an opportunity for, for empathy and civic place building and nation building and, and pluralism. Are you an optimist about <laughs> this going forward after 2008 and, and really, you know, after, after the pandemic, after 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I think, I mean, to just put all my cards on the table, I think progressive politics is by its nature optimistic. That progressive politics is about imagining a better future and without, while being realistic about the, the world that we live in. But, but, but you have to, so the city that I imagine, and the city that I mm-hmm. um, imagine at the end is one in which, in which these various forms of belonging you know, that we celebrate and allow for, we create public spaces for for you know walking. We create public buildings for associations to meet. We we allow for public protests. We allow for you know a decent online community yeah, that actually exactly. has decent with rhetoric. Etiquette, with etiquette with, and rules. With etiquette rules and, and not as monetized perhaps as, as, you know, say some, as, you know, some platforms have done. Um, and, and so 
that's the vision, right? And and if we all right. begin with this vision that we all like need a sense of belonging, yet we're all we exist in a world of of inevitable difference. That that's this begins like the the conversation and and also the, the acknowledgement that nations and nationalisms are not going away. And I think this is one of the challenges of our time is how to how to balance this or how to find the way forward. And um, but that's that's not to be starry eyed about it all. And I think if there's one sort of um, I would hesitate to give a, a, a you know a, a horrible critique of my book, but what there's one like <laughs> there's one big challenge to this book is that many of these practices of belonging were used by bad actors, and they still are, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you can think of all like the right wing groups on you know in the U.S. now who who use some of these same practices to find each other, and often are kind of driven. These members are driven by some of the same desires, and and what do you mm-hmm. do about that? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. You know, in pointing out in that in that last chapter, especially that the world the two Václavs created is is still very much with us and alive. Um, so, you know, I, I want to thank you, Chad, for for writing this book and and especially bringing it up to the present and putting yourself in in the story with empathy and humility and. Um, seizing upon great sources is, makes makes the work i think really readable so um i want to con- i want to congratulate you and, and kind of end with a question if you could recommend a few books perhaps or authors or writers or historians that you um, have in mind for our new books network audience yeah so um actually i have like a use my use my minute here to give a shout out to so First of all, I think what I what I realized while writing this book is just how I mean, how vibrant history writing and just writing in general is is in our region um, from people in that region. And so, just to begin, like I, I really hope that a lot more is translated in the future. Like Hannah Hannah Frekova's book and Shuang Nguyen's books are still only in Czech, and they're they're wonderful. And, and there's a lot of wonderful scholars that I I think I, I try to name them in the book. Um, you know, Katarzyna Chapkova and Radka Shustrova and um, Hanna Kubatova, um, Vitislav Summer, and, and many, many more that I could go on and on. I think deserve like a wider audience. And and I think if if anybody after reading this book or before reading this book, if they if they um, you know are intrigued by some of the themes, um, I I really in terms of the the, the chapter on communism. Uh, one book that I, I use in my classes all the time is always a hit is Head of Margolis, Margolius Cavalli's Under a Cruel Star. Mm. Uh, it's it's her yeah, it's a memoir I've of, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to save it's I mean it's it's such a good book to think with and to grapple with. Um so she um she's a survivor of Auschwitz who whose mm-hmm. husband later gets caught up in the Slonsky trials. And among other things she talks about why people would embrace communism and then also the, the evils of that system and um, and then two novels that I had in mind to suggest was one by was by Zhuang Tu Huang, The Paradise of the Blind, which is about a, a Vietnamese mm. worker in the Soviet Union in the 1980s. Uh, really powerful, powerful I piece that I th- I don't I don't know that. When was it published? Um, I I would have to look. I would guess about 10 years ago. It was um, it was recommended to me by Christina Schwenkel, who has written about this subject as well. And, who, um, along with Teresa Freidingerova, another person who should be translated, um, mm-hmm. taught me everything I know, basically, <laughs> found in that chapter. 
Um, and if I could just throw out one more novel, Absolutely. just sort of, yeah, please. The, um, I think early on, like some a book that really made an impression was um, uh, Teju Teju Cole's Open City. It's a he's a Nigerian American writer, and it's a book about walking through New York um, mm. in the present day, and and just about the encounters that the author had, but also as as someone as an immigrant. Um, the, the main character is an immigrant, Nigerian immigrant as well, um, mm-hmm. who's a, in a, working as a resident in the local hospital. Just the, it captures beautifully just the, like what I was talking about, the city of difference. He walks through different neighborhoods. He meets different types of people. But also through this walking, he's, he's searching for like a, a sense of a place, a sense of home in the city. And so it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so what you know finally you know this is really the last question. What are you what are you working on now? What kind of research are, are you doing, Chad? Yeah, so um, so I've I've gone back to doing depressing topics. <laughs> oh no! Come on, trains. We need more trains and metros. I know, exactly. <laughs> so, but it's it's been so much fun. I, I um I'm co-authoring a book with with uh, as you mentioned, Katarzyna Chapkova and Diana Dumitru. And we're, our, our focus is are the, the Slonsky political trials of, of trial of 1952, but, but we're also looking more broadly at the Stalinist era and like what, what led up to the trials and, and what the legacies of the trials were and, and drawing a lot of, uh, on a, a lot of like untapped documents in, in Moscow and Prague and Jerusalem. Uh, one thing that we're finding, which is very interesting, is that um, these tri- this trial and other trials like it um, were not, you know, primarily even a Soviet or not primarily demanded by Stalin or not designed by, by Soviet advisors. That in fact, they, they grew out of local um, political dynamics within Czechoslovakia and political rivalries. And, and belonging makes an appearance because it's of course. Um, one of the sure. stories <laughs> I couldn't resist. And this is the chapter I'm writing right now is a it's remarkable to see how many of the people who later became leading communists um, and also betrayed each other sort of formed these bonds um, in Prague in the 1920s and 30s, as I mentioned, similar to Berger in the associations. They met in cafes. They, mm-hmm. and, um, and the tragedy is, or the question is, and the tragedy in question is, like how these people who were, you know, had, you know, formed this, these very strong community, this very strong community, so what were the dynamics that, that eventually led them to destroy themselves in different ways? Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot darker, Chad. You're, it you're, is. You'll, you'll, you'll get in touch with your dark side again. <laughs> right. right. And I'll swing back to optimism for like the final. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, I know, I know, Chad, you say at the end of this book that you are not a progger and, and you're so humble and so modest, but, but you are. And um, I really want to congratulate you on, on this wonderful book and, and thank you for taking the time to join me here today. Yeah, and thank you. This was a lot of fun and it's always, it's always wonderful to listen to your, your podcasts and, um, and also Joe Massina's podcast on, 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 on Eastern Europe, but also just this, this was a lot of fun. You always ask great questions and you always make, make me and others think really deeply. So thank you. Yeah. And so I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, and we have been speaking here on the new books network with author and historian Chad Bryant. His new book is called uh, Prague, Belonging and the Modern City, 
This is published by Harvard University Press in 2021, just out. Congratulations, and thanks again to Chad and to all of our listeners for being here. Until next time. Thank you.